This podcast is brought to you by True Voice. We're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by True Voice. I'm your host, Ryan Quelder. In today's dynamic business landscape, the focus on sales enablement for B2B organizations hasn't just become increasingly vital, it has become critical. Whether you're already equipped with a dedicated enablement team or considering enablement initiatives within your within your company, or understanding or trying to understand the maybe the evolving nature of enablement or strategic best practices and securing uh, executive buy-in. All of this is, it's crucial. We have reached a critical level. Sales enablement is a must. The great news is today, somebody flew in from uh, Florida with a suitcase to help me unpack this issue. (laughs) Sorry, Chris, that was a terrible analogy, but you know, whatever. Uh, Unpacking this with me today is a special guest, Chris Kingman the Global Head of Digital Sales Enablement at TransUnion. Together, we're going to dive into the world of sales enablement, exploring its transformative journey, how to kickstart your own enablement function, and the pivotal role it plays in driving growth. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. Very excited to be here. All right, my friend. Before we hop into the conversation, let's... let's, uh, Tell us about you. Tell us about your experience. Who, Who is this Chris Kingman? Sure. Um, I've been in enablement for over 13 years at this point. Um, I had a very brief, brief stint in uh, on-premise wine and spirit sales right out of college. It kind of set the tone for me in sales because I failed miserably. Fast forward to about five years after that, I ended up at a tech startup. Um, And, you know, if you know anybody that's been in a startup, they're hired for one thing, they end up doing five other things. And one of those things for me was building out a training and development function and just snowballed from there. And I really built out um, a lot of the disciplines under enablement, whether it's support, customer training, internal training, onboarding, operations, reporting, um, you name it, process improvements. I really kind of cut my teeth in this tech startup. And then eventually that was acquired uh, by TransUnion. I integrated into the larger corporate environment and kind of been growing ever since. And along that path, um, very fortunate enough to be involved with Sales Enablement Society, both founding it, um, doing a lot of the work in the early years, as well as recently joining the board of directors there and, you know, helping contribute and give back to the practice. So uh, you mentioned the Sales Enablement Society, and I was doing a little troll, not trolling, that's the wrong word, um, you know, exploring, uh, looking into, getting to know you a little bit online before our, our call, before our podcast. 
And it turns out uh, the Illuminati got together in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, to start the Sales Enablement Society some years ago, and it's just exploded into this gigantic thing. I mean, were you, were you part of this? I was not part of the original group in Virginia. Um, I didn't, you know, those were those were a small LinkedIn group meeting that came together, but the very first official meeting uh, they held in Palm Beach. So lucky for me, I was 30 minutes away, um, but I was there to help finalize a lot of the work around the charter, um, sign the mission statement, you know, put my stamp on there as a founding member and kind of put my name in the room, my voice in the room there. Um, you know, lots of funny stories and, and relationships built just from that moment as well. Being, uh, you know, at that time, I was the only millennial in a room of about 400 practitioners. Um, so they seized up on that one pretty quick. But um, it was a great experience. You know, I've made a lot of great relationships. I've had a lot of great mentors, especially earlier in my career. I met a lot of very, very intelligent people who all they wanted to do is give back. And so, um, if you're in enablement or if you're considering it, or if you don't, but you just want to level up, I highly suggest everybody just, you know, takes two seconds, Googles that sales enablement society, uh, and you know, it's free to join, but it's endless amounts of value. So, uh, fantastic. Thank you for coming. Let's get into this. You already mentioned something that's going to lead us right into this. You've been doing this for some time, uh, a little, little over a decade and a half. Let's start with your perspective, and you already gave a little teaser, but how have you seen sales enablement kind of evolve? Let's use the word evolve over the last, say, five, 10 years. Sure. Um, so I really think, you know, a lot of folks kind of, as that term sort of entered into the, the fray, right, they were doing some version of it. You'll probably hear a lot of people say it was operations, right? They were doing the reporting, they were doing the training. Um, some more technologically advanced groups maybe were doing content management or maybe they had, um, they were administering Salesforce or maybe even some of the sales tech tools that were around a decade ago, you know, the very few at that time. Um, but I think they all kind of gravitated under this one umbrella term of like, you know, we're anything and everything that drives revenue and drives sales productivity. And I think that was kind of the course for, say the first five, six years was, it's sales enablement. We're enabling sellers, you know, across almost anything. But inevitably, as that got bigger and broader, I think a lot of people realized real quick, like you could have the most efficient and effective sales organization, but if you don't have good operations, you don't have good membership, you don't have good delivery, you don't have good client success, it really impacts the sale and impacts the revenue, whether it's um revenue capture or whether it's like revenue renewal. And so some of the folks in maybe larger organizations or the ones that were thinking forward were pivoting to, all right, well, we enabled the sales force, but how do we enable the operations organization? How do we enable the delivery organization? How do we enable IT? How do we get everybody in the room orientated the right direction towards revenue? And I think that's kind of what you're seeing now. You know, it you gotta love your buzzwords, right? Everything is enablement now, absolutely everything. And here comes revenue enablement, which also has been called a dozen other things over the last you know, 20, 30 years, but it's at least getting the attention it deserves where people are, maybe they missed the sales enablement boat, but now they see, oh, 
there are dedicated functions of organizations that bring everyone together to orchestrate the pursuit of revenue. And I think that's really where we are today. Is there, you know, a, is there a playbook? Is there a concrete way to do it? No, everybody's got their own version. And that's that's totally okay. But I think it, collectively, as a as a practice, as an organization, or excuse me, as like a trade or a craft, it's moving in that direction of think bigger than sales. So what, what I heard you say, I mean, I, I'm going to boil down a lot of what you just said into kind of this singular spot. And there's this idea of alignment um, that for me, uh, being a chief delivery officer at True Voice, alignment is 100% on my mind, 100% of the time. It's not the only thing I think about, but it is constantly looking. I'm always looking for ways to do this. Um, why is that alignment? from a sales enablement perspective, why is that an alignment so imperative? And why, you know, why have we landed here after all these, after all these years? So forgive me for not knowing who said this, but one of my favorite quotes as it relates to business is sales isn't the whole company, but the whole company better be sales. <laughs> I think, you know, and, and maybe you can give me your two cents, but, um, Buy or sales doesn't end at the purchase or the contract signature, right? There's there's so much more to it, and if you look at a lot of the data and a lot of the research that's sort of come out over the last you know couple of years, it's really honing in on a couple different things, right? The best product isn't really prevailing all the time. Mm. You know, um, not everything sells itself. Like I, you know, the iPhone's a great example. It's like, oh, it's an iPhone. I have to have it. But like 15 years ago, some people were like. Okay, I, I don't see I don't see the value. I don't see the benefit. People are buying from people, right? That that's not new. But really, what I think is kind of pushing this forward, and, and what we're seeing is that customers want to buy from people that understand them and that treat them properly and take care of them. And you may have a great salesperson that can articulate things and really understand the customer, but if the ongoing support of that relationship is poor, they're probably going to leave you, right? And then it'll be as easy as, you know, just we're not getting the attention that we need or we're not getting the support or, or even worse, it's like they were sold a bill of goods and they're really kind of getting something else. And so if you, you know, you really want to pull all of this stuff together to ensure what you're selling is actually what you're able to deliver. And I'm sure you can speak to this before a lot, you know, some sellers will sell you some stuff that probably you don't offer or can't. What, offer. Chris? You're now you're crazy, man. I've never seen, never experienced that here. Small, yeah, it's a small amount of them. It's a small amount, <laughs> but you want to bridge that gap, right? You want a consistent experience. You know, you think of like the companies that you keep going back to, or like who you rent from, or you know, purchase products or or whatever. Like I think of U-Haul and like renting their trucks, like. If you've ever rented a moving truck, you can do it from your phone. It's quick. It's seamless. Like it's the same consistent experience every time. If you look at Home Depot, you go to a Home Depot, they're pretty much all the same on the inside. They carry all the same products for the most part, but it's the level of support you get after the fact. You have a problem, you can go to their website from your phone and then you can push a button and talk to somebody via text message. And it is an AI bot. But it will literally solve 90% of your problems. Clearly, I'm not handy, so I break a lot of stuff. I got to keep going back and forth on <laughs> Depot so I know about it. 
but it's it's that's the level you know like i'm sure this it's super polarizing either you're a home depot person or a lowe's person a lowe's person right uh yeah so that's one of the reasons why i'm a home depot person that level of support and it's you know how much money do you think i'm spending at home depot not as much as contractors not as much as people building homes but i still get this immaculate level of support and that means a lot as a customer right I know I'm never going to buy a massive purchase, but if I ever did, if I ever had to buy a refrigerator or I wanted to redo a kitchen, I would probably look to them first. Okay. So I love that. And there's, it seems like there's been this evolution kind of over time as well, in addition to pulling all this alignment, but the, the, the evolution points towards the improvement of support for the buyer, for the customer. And really, there's been additional evolution around, you know, it used to be, you know, sell, sell, sell. And now it's kind of help, 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 support, support, support. I mean, buyers are buying. Um, they're looking for a buying experience, a selling experience that is supportive of their endeavor, not of the, the feature functionality crap that we have to push at them, but really what's going to help them make a decision to buy. I mean, are you seeing the same thing? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, you know, before this podcast, we were talking about, I went to a conference and one of the, they provided the latest stat on the number of, the number of buyers in a buyer group, right? And I think from a sales perspective and an enablement perspective, that's always the, one of the most fascinating statistics. And they said, it's now up to 20 buyers. It's 20 people have to make a decision. Like you imagine trying to figure out how to go, you know, where do you want to go for lunch for 20 people? <laughs> now try to do an enterprise wide purchase much more complicated a lot more online and so i think buying you had a great example buying is moving towards it's not selling people something it's driving understanding and alignment and you know let's say we've got 10 buyers that's 10 versions of one problem right it's how you see it and then it's how i see it and then it's how somebody else sees it and those 10 versions have 10 root causes they have 10 side effects. They have 10 outcomes. And then more, most important is Ryan makes a decision. What are the consequences of Ryan making that decision? What are the consequences of Chris making it? And then the next buyer and the next buyer. And sales is becoming so complicated because of that, right? And then because there's too many buyers, or perhaps it is the right amount of buyers. There's too many versions of the problem. There's too many complications or side effects of the problem. There's too many outcomes, right? And then there's too many consequences of making a decision. Because, you know, if you make a decision, if we all go to lunch and Ryan picks a restaurant and it's terrible, well, you know what? We're out, a, we're out 20 bucks and a bad meal. But if you make a half a million dollar enterprise purchase, the stakes are a little bit higher. And, you know, that's why you get no is the buying decision consistently. And I think sales, modern sales is a reaction to the most consistent decision being a no decision. Wow. Drop the mic, walk off. That is a, that is a soundbite and absolutely agree 100%. So, so let's, let's take the next step here, this conversation for our listeners where maybe they're one of those organizations that, that don't have a dedicated sales enablement function. Okay. There, there may be some, there might even be some overlap between product marketing and sales enablement. 
Um, if you don't have a dedicated sales enablement role, how, how does one actually get started? That's a great question. So let's let's carve out the budget conversation, right? Because that's that's the hang up and that's the hardest part of it. Um, for those out there that don't have dedicated resources, you can go through an exercise, an internal exercise to kind of determine capacity and working capacity, right? Like how many people within an operations slash marketing, maybe it's a sales manager or an executive sales leader, somebody has bandwidth for something, right? It's going to be very subjective. Um, how much time can you spend on you know, an objective. Can you put two hours a week into something that will improve your business? If you're some level of, you know, seniority, you could probably find somebody who either A, has the time or B, is willing to stretch, right? Mm. Really stretch their skills. Or C, as I've heard from a lot of enablement people, like I wanted to make things better for my organization or my manager, my leader was always leaning on me to help with training or this or that. You're gonna find someone, right? Just do a hand raising exercise. So you find somebody, you got a body in a chair that can give you an hour, two hours a week, it, it depends. And the amount of time will come out of this exercise. The next thing you'll do is you can Google any kind of you know, diagnostic, you can look up a sales diagnostic, you can look up you know, determining sales enablement priorities. All of that stuff out there, there's a lot of great resources, but you can just do this. Talk to executive leadership, talk to the front line, talk to the supporting teams. What's working and what's not? Now it's all subjective data, right? It's just your, it's Ryan's opinion. Ryan says marketing's not talking to sales. Thank you, Ryan. Go to the next person. Somebody else says the same thing. Somebody else says something different. You look for recurring themes, not even like hard data, just recurring themes. And you go down those paths and you consolidate the anecdotes to anecdata, the subjective to arguably qualitative, and you kind of come up with some key themes. This isn't working, this isn't working, this isn't working. The next step, figure out what needs to fix it. Again, go to the managers, go to the front line, go to support. Here's the problem. What could fix it? The people in the problem usually have a solution. They may not be the ones to get you out of the problem because maybe they got you there, but they might have an idea of the way out. Once you have a set of uh, solutions, this is where you get the budget. The first thing is you have to go fix it, <laughs> right? It's not the other way around. Get the money, go fix it. It's like, go fix it, and then we'll pay you to do it again with something else. Figure out how much time and energy it needs to fix something. Marketing and sales relationship isn't good. Great. What is that going to take? That's probably two meetings a week to align, to make sure everybody's on the same page. We need this. They need that. Done. Figure out some way to calculate that value of fixing that. And that's going to be tough because sometimes you have benchmarks. We have hard data about the impacts of a challenge. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just need a baseline performance. Right now, they're doing X, Y, Z. We think if we resolve this, we can be here. Don't ask for budget until you can prove the impacts. I think that's one of the, the easier ways to get enablement done, right? You got to put in the sweat equity first, which some people might not be able to do. But if you prove the value before you ask for the money, 
it's a little bit of an easier budget conversation. Okay. So that is a fun, that's some phenomenal advice, especially for somebody, one of our listeners or our listeners that are looking to establish, but don't know where to start, find the issue, find the themes, prove a result, then take those results and the issues back, ask for budget. Am I, am I tracking? Did I nutshell that appropriately? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> So you just, you really, what you did was you answered the question, how do we actually drive um, appetite for this in a macroeconomic environment where belts are actually being tightened? You know, so, so what you did was you've already got the solution, you've got the, the results budget, right? So that becomes a very easy business decision. That, that's brilliant. Yeah, I, I don't get me wrong. There is endless amounts of research and data from every consulting firm and in you know, large scale publication that says, this is why you need this. Yeah. And they're, they're not wrong 100%. And you should cite that stuff when you are going back, but nothing's going to sell like the real world impacts that are exactly related to your business. Because if, if I said, Hey, Ryan, I can improve lead conversion by 25% with your business by coming over there and giving you some sales enablement, it's kind of hard to connect that from a sales perspective because it's like, well, you don't know my business. You don't know what's going on here. You don't know all these folks. You don't know the context, the history, what we've tried. But if you are internal facing and you are solving your company's problems and you're pointing, you're, you're changing the course, you're changing the direction, no matter how slow, it's going to tell a way better story and people are going to see the results. There's like for me, it, I've had the biggest sort of, you know, progress in my career by going and solving the problems first and then going back and saying, we just solved this problem. We can continue to solve this problem, but here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how much you're going to get out. So uh, we have a shared experience. Absolutely. Bringing a result to the table, not just an idea. It's a difference maker. So from your perspective, what are some of the challenges that someone might face when they're trying to, to put in that sweat equity, right? What, what are some of the challenges they might, and how do we overcome them? So I think the first one's going to be time, right? It's, it's how much time is this going to take? And that's, that's very fair. And in all realities, people that want to make things better may not actually have the bandwidth to do it. And that's okay, right? Um, I'm a big proponent of start where you are with what you have and do what you can. If you can only do an hour a week, and maybe that hour is, you know, your lunch on a Thursday, but you're doing something, that's a heck of a lot better than doing nothing and letting the problem, you know, take care of itself. Um, there's another way to look at it is, let's say you can have some bandwidth, you have some bandwidth, you can get a group of folks together to have some conversations. There's two ways to look at it. And if you go back to sort of those diagnostic conversations that I outlined earlier, you can always kind of look at a weighting system. You come up with your own, you know, but I like to look at it two ways. One, how proficient are we at this particular thing right now, right? Like how good are we at this? Let's say marketing and sales alignment, you're a three. It's okay, but it could be better. The second metric is how important is it that we get this right? One, doesn't matter. Business is going to, you know, do what it does. If we don't do this or we do, five, if we mess this up, we're 
we're, we're in trouble. Use those two numbers, come up with a score and rank your thing. The other component of that is how much time will it take to improve what you're looking at, right? You want to put a, you don't have a CRM. That's, you know, that's like a year, year and a half implementation, depending on how big you are. You need to improve relationships with marketing. That's maybe three months of meetings and getting together in a room and talking, right? Look at it in two different ways. What are the quick wins? What are the things that we can do real quick that improve the lives, the interactions, the flow, the energy of the sales organization and the broader organization? Maybe that's just getting people in a room, connecting engineers with sellers or you name it, right? Simple things and, and only you will know what that looks like in your organization. And then what are the long-term strategic wins? The big bang, what's the, the massive thing that's gonna make, you know, move the needle? And those are probably the ones that are gonna require the budget. Focus on the quick wins. It make quick improvements, improve quality here and there. Make sure you're talking to your, your teams, your sellers, your leaders, so they know what you're doing and capture the anecdotes that lead to the anecdata that can tell the stories of, we solve these five problems, here's what happened. Morale, through the roof. Conversions, through the roof. 190% plant, you know, whatever happens. So you mentioned results at the business level. I wanna take it, I wanna zoom into the human. So talk about the person that is undertaking this, this lift, right? They're, they're, they see the problem, they go out and they start to, to to, to invest that sweat equity, to create those solutions, to drive business case that you can take back. What is the impact for the human, the person? Maybe it's a PMM, maybe it's somebody else, maybe it's a totally different function, whatever. What is the impact for the person that undertakes this internally with an organization that maybe doesn't have sales, sales enablement already in place? I think at a minimum, um, if you set out to improve things, right? I think you're, let's say you're, you're semi-successful because no, no enabler is just, you know, 10 for 10. Everything they do is a hit, knocks it out of the park, right? You're going to fail at a lot of stuff and that's okay. Um, at a minimum, you're going to get a confidence boost about your own capabilities, right? If you go back to the find the bandwidth, maybe stretch the, you know, stretch your time, take on something else. You're going to be impressed with what you can do and what you can accomplish. I think you're going to see, and this is, this is for me, this is, this is always my driving component behind enablement is you're going to improve people's lives, right? I mentioned, I, I had a very brief career in wine and spirits and it was a terrible sales experience. I got no support, no CRM, my orders are always messed up. Everybody's always yelling at me. So I know what it's like to fail in sales. And so I bring that with me forever in enablement. And so when I work with folks, it's, you know, I have, I think I have a pretty soft approach in that. It's like, just tell me what sucks so I can help make it better. You know, I think for me, it's always, you're going to be successful in enablement if you focus on helping people actually achieve their goals. That's where the success comes from. Man, so that's, pro okay, I, I, we're going to pontificate a little bit. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to wax. Um, if you focus on helping people, you're not just going to be successful in sales enablement. You're going to be successful at life. I mean, that is, for me, what you just said is a, that is a, a, 
a par- it is a, a paradigm that drives value of life. And so that that is such valuable depth of insight, Chris. Thank you for this. And, and it doesn't just apply to our listeners, doesn't just clearly just doesn't apply just to sales. And that's a good human play, right? If you want to be a good human, help other people, you know, focus on sol- solving problems, not just surfacing them, but helping solve them, helping improve, be part of that solution. Valuable, man, you just, you just made my day. Thank you for that. Um, so I, we need to, we need to go steps further. So we've talked about some of the obstacles, how to overcome them, what to focus on, sweat equity, there is a thing, especially for organizations that may not have sales, sales enablement function already in play, in place. There might be a reason for that. And part of that reason might have to do with paradigm of the, of the organization, right? So we're a product organization, we're product-led organization, and we believe that all problems that are created that our customers might have can be and should be solved within the product. And there's this like focus on product and less on the sales aspect. I'm curious to know your thoughts. What impact does culture have on kind of sales enablement and the efficacy with which sales enablement can be kind of run? Well, products aren't people, I think. Um, It's a great question, Ryan. You know, I think enablement is both a reaction and a catalyst to culture. Ooh, let's unpack that. Yeah, let's go. So you can be in a a organization, and and I was in one that was very product-centric, very, um, you know, it was all about the tech, and sales was more or less like a necessary component. And that's fine, and it just made sales a marginalized group, but there's still a group and it's still a group of people. And so you can start there, you know, bringing together um, anything and everything. You know, the, one of the most powerful sales enablement tools is just listening. It's, um, it's overrated or it's cliche. I'm not sure where, where people fall on that. But like sales is hard. Sales is really, really hard. It is not. It's not fun. I don't know. I don't enjoy it. Um, and so these people have very hard jobs. So maybe they need an outlet when things don't necessarily work or they could be better. And then what, what better place and not to sound opportunistic, but like who better to step in and hear that than an enablement person. Right. And again, even if that 10% of your time is listening to salespeople talk about what doesn't work and what could be better. There's a huge benefit in letting people vent <laughs> and a huge benefit in letting them talk. Um, and you're going to get a lot of information that is super critical to solving your organization's problems. Like I, you know, I made the analogy referencing the iPhone. The iPhone's great, but at one time, someone still had to sell it. Someone still had to sell you on this idea that this, you know, this phone can replace 90 things in your, you know, in your, like the old Radio Shack ad, it can replace all of these things. Some people didn't buy that and that's okay, right? So at some point you are going to need some person to explain the value of your tool. No, nothing, you know, I, I think the only thing that sells itself 100% of the time is water. Um, so you need, you need 
salespeople, and it, it may be a small group in your organization, maybe one or two people, your CEO may be selling. I don't know. But that just means that unless that group is at like 125% of plan and they're crushing it and they're undefeated, there's probably an opportunity to improve how they operate and even small progress in improvements and how they do their jobs and the quality of their job, the quality of the life at work is going to lead to a better culture. And for me, that's, that's really where I started was just helping this group out, helping sales out the tech startup and building a reputation of somebody that's going to go find out how to solve a problem. Again, probably didn't get it right most of the time, but I solved enough of them to where people trusted me to say, hey, I got this problem. Can you come take a look at it? You know, and that, that builds your culture. People join your organization two, three, four years after kind of, you know, you transform it and your sellers, your, your support teams are going to say like, look, if you've got a problem, we've got teams, we've got people, they will take care of it. And I got to imagine it's a great feeling. It's a great thing to go work somewhere and be like, Hey, we don't get it right all the time. You know, we got a great product, but you still got to sell it. And if you get stuck, we got people that are going to help you out. Love that. Okay. So earlier you mentioned about when we were talking about the evolution of sales and element over the last five, 10 years, one of the things that you mentioned was how things are called and what things are called. Uh, and one of the things you mentioned was about this idea to revenue enablement. So as we've shifted to, and we're shifting to, and more terms are coming up like revenue enablement from your perspective, how do you see this, um, this evolution of how things are being categorized like revenue enablement? How do you see this evolution impacting enablement in general? I think it's good. You know, um, I think it's, it's a tension. It may not be exactly pointed at what is sales enablement, right? But I think the, I think the, the kind of the commentary that maybe you're hearing in like the social spheres is like revenue enablement is the new sales enablement. Maybe that's enough for people to go, hold on, what is sales enablement? And why did it evolve to this? You know, and maybe it leads folks into looking into it. While that does sound like a very valuable add to a business, do they need to necessarily go down the rabbit hole of, well, sales enablement is really a combination of sales ops and training, all of these things. You know, you don't need the full context to understand the value. Um, so I think it's it's going to draw attention to the the practice depending on the organization, depending on the size, depending on the maturity, and depending on who's really like looking at it for their business, they may need sales enablement. They may need to start there and they may have the ambitions to evolve to revenue enablement, right? I, I really just think it's a, it's a crawl, walk, run scenario. And maybe for a lot of folks, sales enablement is that walk. So how do we prioritize? So I'm I'm a new, I'm in my organization. I've identified the need. I'm ready to start doing that sweat equity investment. Maybe I've even done the sweat equity investment. Whatever. How do we how do we start to prioritize? Um, what's going to be impactful? Maybe that's even the answer. I don't know. But how do we prioritize where where to start and how to start? Sure. So I think enablement kind of works. It, it's very similar to sales in that you have inbound and outbound, right? People are going to come tell you like, hey, I need you to do this. And that's great. Like it may be for one person or it may be a larger challenge 
aligned to a team or an organization. It's up to you to sort of figure out where that fits, right? I think there's also the outbound component. Go find out, but go ask. The easiest way to ask is start with the goals. It's always the goals and it's always go to the highest ranking salesperson, get their time and say, hey, can you help me understand your goals? Because I want to reverse engineer this and see what's keeping you from hitting these goals. What goal is, um, which goal is most in danger? Which goal is most important that you hit? What contributes to that goal? What's preventing you from hitting it or what could ensure that you get to it? Um, I'm a big fan of whenever you go set out to do an initiative, no matter how big or small, go talk to your internal stakeholders and your customers and ask them, what does success look like to you? Because that's the real metric you're gonna be measured on. Are the people footing the bill, believing you're successful or not, right? Um, they're gonna fund it because it's based on assumptions or they're going to allow you to work on it based on assumptions. You need to understand those assumptions because you need to get as close to those as possible even if they aren't necessarily completely in line with the reality of the situation, we know some, some more senior folks may be a little disconnected from problems or solutions, and that's okay. Tie them all together. Look at what's the story. How do I prior, you know, how do you prioritize? Well, what's a priority? What's a priority for my sales leader? The next layer down, the next layer down, go talk to your frontline. Hey guys, what's a priority? What's keeping you from hitting goal? What's keeping you from being efficient? What's keeping you from getting on the phone or you know, doing whatever it is your specific sales order is required? There's, there's no shortage of priorities, which is you know, also a problem. Everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Right. But always point it back to the goals because the closer you can get to the goals, there's always revenue tied to one of those, easier it is to then say, great, we'll help you hit that goal, fund us, we'll continue to help you hit that goal. So Chris, if you, if you can leave our listeners with, and you've given already, a, a, you know, just a ton, a ton to, 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 chew, to chew on, to start, start with, but if you had one piece of advice uh, to leave our listeners, you know, what would it be? So I'm going to go back to a, a comment that you brought up earlier. Um, for me, enablement is about people. It's always about people. It's always about the people, um, no matter how big and strategic an enablement initiative is, it always boils down to it's going to impact people. These people are in your care. So never, never lose sight of the fact that the purpose that you exist, yes, you have revenue goals, your organization is shareholders, maybe you're you know, publicly traded, you gotta hit a number. Everything rolls back down to people. It's people doing jobs. And your job is to support and enable those people doing the jobs, right? That's where you fit in the big machine. And if you can always keep at your core that this is a people-centered job, I'm here in a service role and support role, an enablement role, whatever, however you want to envision yourself or carry yourself, you're there to care for people. That is, that's awesome. I love that advice. That is so valuable. Man, so coming, tying it, coming back full circle, tying it back into people. Um, you said at the beginning of the show, I, th I think it was at the beginning of the show, that the best product does not always prevail. 
right? I think that's how you put it. Um, and if it's not the best product, it's then the people that help drive vision and alignment and help help the buyer buy something, the product that that can actually help so, solve the problem. But it's not always just product feature functionality. It's the person helping set paradigm. People, people, people. Dude, that was awesome. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, this was valuable. We might need to do uh, a part two if you're game, but brother, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. And listeners, for more from our friends at TransUnion and from us here at True Voice from Corporate Visions, formerly Primary Intelligence, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.